here and I have their theme song all queued up and ready to go on. So uh, I think it's uh, nice but very dry and there's a big fire risk because there is some wind around. And uh, please be very, very careful. It's a little cooler. And as I heard somebody mentioning earlier today, glass jars left out can cause fires even inside cars. I know of another story of a car where the the seat got all smoldered and could have burst into flames if it had not been caught in time. So do be careful. Oh, and we have an underwritery type thing to play. An alarming number of preteens are already drinking alcohol, which makes it urgent to find every opportunity to talk to your kids about the dangers of underage drinking. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. That's www.underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. All in caps. Talk. They hear you. A public service message from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Una cantidad alarmante de preadolescentes ya beben alcohol. Por eso es urgente que aproveche toda oportunidad para hablarles a sus hijos sobre los peligros del consumo de alcohol entre menores. Ellos realmente lo escuchan. Para obtener consejos sobre qué decir, visite underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hable. Ellos lo escuchan. Un mensaje de servicio público de la Administración de Servicios de Abuso de Sustancias y Salud Mental. This is Redwood Community Radio. It's 701. KMUD Garberville, KMUE Eureka, KLAI Laytonville, FM Translator K258BQ in Shelter Cove, and support for KMUD comes from Redwood Coast Energy Authority, who provides services and support to the community to build energy resilience, reduce energy consumption, and expand the use of climate-friendly electric vehicles. Visit redwoodenergy.org for complete details or call 707-269-1700 for more information. And do remember that the views and opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day on Redwood Community Radio are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the station, staff, underwriters, or volunteers. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to us in a crowded media landscape. It's time for Ask Your Herb Doctor. technical see what happens i think that we have the herb doctors i know we have dr pete dr pete we got you here yes yes and herb doctors do i have you good evening good evening okay so you're listening to ask your herb doctor kmd garbable 91.1 fm from now until 8 o'clock at the end of the show, uh, sorry, from 7.30 to 8 o'clock at the end of the show, uh, you're invited to call in with questions related to this month's uh, topic of iron and its dangers. And uh, from 7.30 on, people call in, hopefully related to this month's subject, and uh, Dr. Raymond Pete is joining us again. So let me just double-check that Dr. Pete's on the air and that he can hear everything and we can hear him. Go ahead, Dr. Pete. Yes, I'm here. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining again. So, uh, when when the subject of um, iron was suggested as a topic for conversation, um, I started looking at some articles online from PubMed and National Institutes of Health, and uh, I just wanted to preface the uh, beginning of this show um, with something I've written in conjunction with this, just to 
let people know fairly clearly um, where the show content is going and where the evidence for that content is coming from. So uh, I know that you've written several newsletters as well as articles related to the dangers of iron, and again, it seems pertinent to the information and science surrounding the inflammatory nature of COVID, especially surrounding the thousands of fatalities in people receiving the experimental drug from thromboembolic processes. Now, this added to the acute and chronic inherent inflammatory processes that are stimulated by receiving this drug, and this being related to the smoking gun of potential massive autoimmune disease going forward in populations receiving this drug, highlighted by the scientists and physicians around the world who are actively treating COVID with very inexpensive and very safe off-label medicines and supplements demanding that the experimental drug rollout be halted immediately. It's very unfortunate that the mainstream media, social media, as well as governments around the world have suppressed life-saving, safe and expensive treatments for COVID infection in all age groups. But I am heartened to see worldwide pushback with some massive demonstrations against the tyranny in France, the UK, Germany and other European nations, with a huge demonstration planned later this month in Australia by the people for the people. Little attention is paid to any of it by most TV networks, radio news networks or social media unless you look at alternative sites that have flourished since free speech was suppressed prior to the onset of COVID in late 2019. And of course our 2020 election further increased suppression of the truth by big tech. You will not see it show the massive crowds and the demonstrations on video except on free speech sites like Rumble, BandVideo.com, Brand YouTube, BitChute, Gab and Parler to name a few. It's real, not fiction. Go take a look and see what's happening for yourself. So tonight we'll be discussing the link between iron, estrogen, suppression of peptides like catholicidin and hepcidin, that the experimental drug for COVID-19 and rising numbers in the thousands of dead just in the US from the drug and with it, as I checked today, 618,480 cases of adverse events reported to VAERS, the online freely accessible public record, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Again, fact, not fiction. Go take a look for yourself. It's widely accepted that only a small fraction of actual adverse events are reported to the system. So let's assume 10% are reported, which is very generous. This would mean the actual factual representation would be closer to 10 times this number. And it's called a safe drug. Never would it have received FDA authorization work put through the usual rigor of vaccine development anywhere and it's clearly advertised to not prevent the contraction of nor dissemination of COVID-19, and we wonder why the explosion of cases this year after the massive drug rollout. So with this in mind, and our thoughts firmly established in science, not fiction, uh, we're pleased to welcome Dr. Pete to discuss the physiology of inflammation and its relationship to COVID-19. So Dr. Pete... Yes. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. When you mentioned uh, that inflammation, uh, certainly from a p- perspective of the serious outcomes of COVID in people that have gone uh, to the ER and or have been put on ventilators, etc., as well as those who've died, um, the relationship between iron and what you've written about in the past and what you've recently written about. Um, would you like to just discuss the physiology of this process and let's put some science to the uh, mechanism of inflammation and then look for a strategic uh, solution to this? Uh, There are lots of ways that iron triggers inflammation, but uh, probably the best way to uh, start thinking about it is that uh, inflammation triggers the excessive uptake and retention of iron. Uh, the the uh, inflammation uh, very often uh, affects the hepcidin, uh, which is a, a germicidal peptide that also uh, regulates iron. Uh, and uh, its function in relation to iron in the whole organism uh, is to suppress uh, the uh, absorption of iron. Uh, so when you have enough, you increase your your hepcidin, uh, which is a, a, a virucidal, uh, bactericidal, uh, uh, protective uh, peptide, uh, and it also uh, uh, blocks the absorption of uh, uh, iron. Uh, 
uh, and uh, inflammation uh, that, uh, that leads to a, a, a lot of uh, harmful effects. Uh, one of the effects of inflammation is to increase the absorption and retention of iron. And it, it generally, when it's extreme, it ends up damaging cells such as the red blood cells. When they break down under stress, for example, when you're stressed by anything, you tend to release free fatty acids into your bloodstream. Uh, and too many free fatty acids activate uh, uh, destabilizing things that tend to dissolve your red cells uh, and to activate lipid peroxidation. Uh, and uh, so under stress, uh, your the lifespan of your red blood cells is shorter, uh, meaning that they are uh, increasing your iron burden, uh, the free, dangerous, uh, uncontrolled uh, iron. Uh, and uh, uh, another effect of, of uh, inflammation in general uh, is that it uh, increases the enzyme heme oxygenase that breaks down uh, the heme group uh, uh, when your red blood cells have, have leaked. Hemoglobin, for example, the heme itself from the hemoglobin is a very dangerous uh, sort of a, a wild catalyst uh, leading to uh, uh, lipid peroxidation, among other things. Uh, so that has to be disposed of. But in breaking down heme, uh, this heme oxygenase enzyme liberates uh, 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 bilirubin, uh, the, the chemical involved in jaundice uh, and uh, creates a, a molecule of carbon monoxide and liberates a, a free atom of iron. Uh, and uh, that means that uh, chronic stress is constantly uh, making you dispose of a little more uh, of these heme groups. Uh, especially in the brain, they're very dangerous. Uh, and so the, uh, the stress-induced uh, heme oxygenase, getting rid of the uh, stray heme molecules, uh, is constantly uh, dropping uh, these uh, random iron atoms uh, along with carbon monoxide and, uh, and uh, bilirubin. Uh, and uh, so it, this is probably uh, one of the major factors in iron overload. It's an internal process involving the breaking down of uh, red cells and other cells under stress. But at, at the same time, uh, the, uh, the, the lowered hepcidin under stress uh, is leading you to uh, retain more of the uh, iron out of your food. Uh, uh, one of the things uh, uh, increased by stress and by inflammation, uh, for example, uh, the uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines, uh, interleukins uh, and prostaglandins, prostaglandin E2, for example, tumor necrosis factor, uh, uh, these uh, induced uh, uh, by things that create inflammation activate aromatase producing estrogen so estrogen goes up in inflammation and when estrogen goes up uh, under the influence of high estrogen uh, a woman will retain uh, several times as much of the iron in her food as a, a man as who isn't under stress. Uh, so there are several major vicious circles that uh, lead to the production of inflammation, which leads to uh, hemoxygenase, which leads to 
estrogen, which leads to more of the uh, inflammation and iron. And this is something that can be easily tested on a blood test, right? You can look at the iron saturation on a blood test and see if you are high iron. Uh, Yeah, the uh, transparent saturation percentage is probably the most useful thing. Is that better than the iron saturation percentage? Uh, yeah, that's what that's what they mean when they say iron saturation is, is uh, how loaded the transferrin molecule is. Oh, right, because then you can test the transferrin as well, the level of transferrin. Uh, right. Yeah, the quantity of transferrin. Right. Okay, I'm um, listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor KMD Gabbable 91.1 FM from 7.30 till the end of the show. Callers are invited to call in with questions about this month's subject of iron, inflammation and COVID and the number is 707-923-3911. Uh, Dr. Pete, just picking up on the last things that you said in that um, in that explanation and on Sarah's uh, questioning, I was wondering, I did see... Um, an article while I was doing some work for the radio show, knowing that iron uh, was going to be one of the main topics, a driver, a well-known driver and well-recorded driver of inflammation. Uh, You've said that both estrogen will bring up iron uh, and uh, inflammation will bring up iron. They're both kind of (laughs) stimulate each other, one one begetting the other in a vicious cycle. And I wanted to ask you about um, ferritin. Now, I saw an article on uh, National Institutes of Health related to COVID outcomes and morbidity in patients with severe COVID. And they found a very statistical uh, correlation between high ferritin levels and poor outcome in COVID and were suggesting that... um, it's kind of off off label recommendation, if you like, or a little off topic, but it caught my attention. Uh, they were suggesting uh, iron chelation and some relatively what they were calling benign uh, iron chelators that would bind iron and would lower ferritin levels so that, you know, potentially if somebody has beta thalassemia or some other iron overload or liver disease or, you know, something that would compromise their excretion and or uh, absorption of iron to a point where they had higher ferritin, that chelation could be a useful strategy to mitigate any uh, serious outcomes from uh, what would typically be a fairly benign exposure to this uh, covid what do you uh, what do you have to say about ferritin levels and and or chelation as a method of helping people with known high ferritin uh, uh, several people have been talking about that in recent years uh, protecting against uh, disease and now especially against the coronavirus uh, by chelating uh, iron uh, going back uh, decades, uh, people have realized that free iron is associated with all kinds of infections, parasites, fungus, bacteria, viruses, uh, and with, with cancer. Right. Uh, cancer acts like a, a, an invading pathogen uh, in its hunger for iron, things that want to grow fast. Uh, need a supply of a generously available kind of iron. Uh, and uh, uh, so if your cells are o- overloaded with uh, bound iron, uh, any local uh, irritation uh, can make those cells r- release the iron and be a, a target for cancer or uh, viruses or bacteria.
cells and the ferritin transferrin and ferritin in your blood are both increased. So as you are experiencing inflammation, your blood iron rises apart from what the real level in your inside your cells is. Several people over the years have said that the only certain way to diagnose iron overload or deficiency, and they basically have only done it on volunteer medical students to test the idea, is to biopsy bone marrow and or liver. Very, very often when you seem to be deficient by what's floating around in your blood, you'll have more than a normal amount in your bone marrow and and uh, liver. But, but uh, just for a practical thing, if you're uh, circulating iron level uh, on transferrin and ferritin, if they are extremely uh, small at uh, probably uh, uh, approaching one hundredth of a possibly healthy level in in the blood, if they're down around just a few uh, milligrams per milliliter, uh, then uh, you, you can make a fairly good guess that you are deficient in iron. But uh, 50 years ago, when I would talk about these things, uh, uh, doctors would get furious because they were still diagnosing iron deficiency disease on the basis of low uh, hemoglobin and hematocrit uh, and still uh, uh, prescribing iron to a very high proportion of, of their female patients. Uh, it was uh, 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 mainly an uh, Anglo-American uh, custom uh, going back to the 19th century uh, in which, uh, uh, did you ever hear of chlorosis, uh, the green sickness that uh, only young women had? Was that from too much iron? Uh, I, that, that was the diagnosis that uh, because their blood was low in uh, uh, hemoglobin and hematocrit, uh, that they said it, it was the uh, the weakness typical of of young women uh, that made them look green. Uh, the, the, the green was a combination of uh, poorly oxygenated. Uh, blood, giving them a blue tint, uh, combined with uh, uh, Billy Rubin, uh, the, the mixture of yellow and, and blue, uh, commonly made the young women uh, greenish. And that's <laughs> and, because the iron was, or their liver, maybe the estrogen was high and the blood wasn't oxygenated, and so their liver wasn't excreting the Billy Rubin? Uh, um, it, from from breakdown of red blood cells, probably, uh, and sluggish liver, low thyroid, uh, being unable to get rid of the bilirubin at a normal rate, uh, and it was uh, arsenic was commonly used to treat it because uh, irritation, such as arsenic can produce, does stimulate your bone marrow to make more red blood cells, and in the 1920s when the idea of chlorosis treated by arsenic finally was discarded, they kept up the same process, stimulating the bone marrow to make more red cells simply on the basis of of the low hemoglobin using high doses of iron. Uh, sometimes just amazingly horrible doses of intravenous or intramuscular uh, iron. Are they causing massive damage and inflammation, etc.? To... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I knew women who... Driving up cancers. Yeah, who, who had black marks all over their, their legs uh, oh from gosh. injected iron. 
medical medical mistakes another one yeah in the 70s uh, doctors were powerfully offended by uh, talking about the dangers of iron overload but over the last few decades uh, that practice has <laughs> gradually weakened would uh, would this have been a, a good argument for the case of leeches <laughs> uh, yeah yeah a blood donation really was yeah. Uh, All right. More so, important than giving iron. So, so let me just ask you once more about ferritin, because I, uh, I, somebody particularly who kind of springs to mind, who's got a, a ferritin of eight hundred and has had for several years now, and he's kind of triggered uh, investigation into inflammatory processes at which it have been unidentified. But uh, if the range I think was thirty-five to four hundred, so twice the upper limit of normal, um, what do you? What would you? What would you think about? Um, chelators, iron chelators, and or any other strategy that you think might help that person be, uh, uh, you know, to mitigate any adverse uh, exposure to COVID? Um, years ago, I was interested in, uh, uh, I think it was called uh, deferoxamine. Yes, des- desferoxamine. That's, that was actually the drug that I was thinking. Uh, and then, uh, just about the time I was starting to uh, think about using it. I, I read that it uh, could uh, move the uh, iron into worse places and, and lead to cancer. Uh, so uh, I'm a so, little skeptical about uh, what kind of uh, chelator they use. So it wouldn't bind it up for excretion, and you're saying it would basically shunt it somewhere else? Uh, yeah, that happens with a lot of, of chelation. Huh. Uh, uh, okay. When you think they're chelating out mercury, <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, they will often be uh, it somewhere uh, else. taking uh, uh, mercury and lead and cadmium out of your bone oh where it was sitting passively right. and move it into your kidneys and oh, brain. Great. Do you, do you know of any safe chelators? Just a bit off topic here, but I'd, I'd like to... Uh, uh, coffee is the only one <laughs> right. I feel safe with it because it has been shown to uh, reduce the bound... Uh, uh, heavy metals in kidneys and other crucial organs and and especially the liver many studies show that the coffee drinkers have low ALT for example mm-hmm. the indicators of liver stress and heavy coffee drinkers have an extremely low incidence of all kinds of liver diseases, including liver cancer. So potentially for somebody who was absolutely never never a tea or coffee drinker, potentially they could take some capsules, I suppose, right, of, of caffeine or... Uh, uh, it, it isn't just the caffeine. No, it, right. it's the, right, Well, right. haven't you said, Dr. Meat, also that calcium and eggshell is a really good um, chelator of heavy metals? Uh, uh, yeah, in a very indirect way. Uh, the uh, uh, when you analyze the minerals in arteries, uh, kidneys, brains, and so on, where they shouldn't be, where you shouldn't have calcium crystals, it, it turns out for many years they've been seeing uh, iron and other heavy metals uh, associated part of the calcium crystal uh, consists of iron. And uh, uh, looking back uh, historically at some of the experiments that uh, weren't explained at the time, uh, these, this association uh, occurred in calcium-deficient areas. Uh, when they would find an area deficient in calcium, if there happened to be a lot of aluminum or uh, other heavy metal, uh, instead of calcium in that area, their degenerating brains and kidneys and arteries would contain a, a lot of that other metal, uh, uh, aluminum or iron or, or such. Uh, for a long time, they were thinking that uh, aluminum would explain Alzheimer's disease, uh, but it turns out that uh, when you're deficient in calcium, you, you load up on whatever uh, junk metal happens to be around. Uh, 
And the reason for that is that a stressed tissue shifts from oxidative metabolism producing carbon dioxide over to glycolytic production of lactic acid. And when a cell produces lactic acid, it leaves a slightly alkaline shift inside the cell, ionizing the cells, making them more able to retain both calcium and any mostly two positive charge metals or three positive charges. But iron goes in, iron and aluminum with their high positivity get bound along with the calcium. So what can we talk about some foods that are really high in iron and foods we need to limit our consumption of? We've talked a little bit about the iron chelators or iron things that help block the absorption of iron. But what foods are you would you consider the highest in iron and should be limited? What food groups? Uh, it matters how much calcium they have too because if you're not getting enough calcium to uh, turn off your parathyroid hormone and keep your uh, metabolism towards carbon dioxide, uh, then you're going to retain more of the the iron. And so meats, uh, uh, liver in particular, uh, with a very low calcium content and very high iron content, uh, it's extremely important to have uh, coffee when you're eating those to block the iron absorption. Now, you mentioned parathyroid hormone now, so this would be a, a, a probable indicator of some chronic inflammatory process, potentially like cancers that might rise with um, parathyroid hormone and uh, poor calcium intake? Um, uh, yeah, and so vitamin D uh-huh. helps to avoid iron retention, even though it's acting through calcium and parathyroid hormone. By lowering parathyroid hormone, it's lowering your affinity for iron and other heavy metals. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Dr. Kami D. Garbaville, 91.1 FM. From now until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, uh, callers are invited to call in with Dr. Raymond Pete, our special guest uh, speaker. And the number here is 707 923 Three nine one one. I think we do have a caller on the air. So let's take this first caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Actually, it was a fellow DJ, and they knew how to get through me the internet. I don't know why they didn't call because it's a good call. Okay. They're from Harris, and they would like to know if fulvate, uh, fulvates would be good for binding. If what was the word? Fulvic minerals. No. Oh, uh, I think they would probably. Uh, hold it in your intestine to some extent, the way they bind minerals in the soil. So do you mean that they would hold it in your intestines so if you ate contaminated uh, so it, uh, food, but it wouldn't necessarily pull it out of the rest it, of your body? I haven't seen research on that, but that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it would have to be tested because if you have a lot of stomach acid, uh, <coughs> the acid might release minerals associated with what you took in. Well, I know, like, it's not a good idea to eat clay regularly because it has a lot of iron in it. Uh, uh, yeah, Mercury. and when it hits your stomach, uh, there's a slight dissolution of the, the clay substance. Okay, you're listening to Ask Europe, Dr. Kami D. Galville, 91.1 FM. From now until the end of the show, I invite you to call in with any questions related to this month's subject of iron, inflammation, uh, COVID outcomes, and uh, things surrounding that nature. So 707-923-3911. So Dr. Pete, uh, just to wrap that up, in terms of uh, chelating iron, you don't recommend any chelators as such because you're saying actually what happens is they pull them out of stores where they're relatively benign and put them into a worse position where they can cause a lot of problems but coffee uh, you're saying that coffee will have that ability in an excretory uh, way Uh, uh, yeah and when we make acids uh, like 
citric acid or succinic acid mm-hmm. inside our cells. And if we make enough that some of it uh, moves into the bloodstream, uh, that's known to carry uh, aluminum and iron out of your cell into the bloodstream associated with the succinate or citrate. But if you eat those, uh, they will pick up any heavy metals in your intestine and carry them into your body where, as they're degraded by oxidation, they can drop their load of heavy metals in your cells. So our body treats a stream of chelators, which are constantly tending to pull cadmium and aluminum out of the body. Okay, I think we do have one or two callers on the air, but let me very quickly uh, just say, ask you this. Would it be okay if someone was to take capsules of ground coffee as a proposed mechanism by which they could consume coffee to kill iron if they are completely opposed uh, to drinking it? Oh, oh sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, capsules of instant coffee, for example. Yeah, as long as it's not any kind of uh, cyclic AMP or of stimulating effects of coffee that they would want to avoid. Okay, so let's take this uh, caller. The number, if you're on listening to calls and you want to uh, call in, if you listen to the show, sorry, 707-923-3911. So let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the airway from. What's your question? And I first have to say, somebody, I'm sorry I put that out there through somebody else. Uh, so... I will not answer the, I will not ask questions for you, so please stop asking me to do that. Here we have someone who will ask a question for themselves. Caller, that's you. Hello, so I'm in Eureka and I'm calling on the behalf of my husband. Um, we are regular blood donors mm-hmm. and he in the last year has failed the hematocrit consistently. Um, we've taken every OTC iron thing, uh, for a quarter at a time with uh, vitamin C in an empty stomach, you know, trying to really, really get it, and um, hasn't had any effect. He fails all the time. So, got any suggestions for keeping iron? In the, and I can, I'm like, <laughs> oh, maybe I can. He can drink less coffee because if coffee is making it go, maybe he can drink less coffee before he gives blood. So, exactly his situation in terms of his blood work is. I can't hear you. What exactly, if you just outline again what his blood work is like, what what are his labs showing? Oh, well, when we, at the blood center, you take it out of the fingertip, but it's called a hematocrit, mm-hmm. and when he when he does lab work at the actual blood work, it's fine. His, well, I don't, and I'm not going to say what kind of iron test it was, but it was out of his elbow and not out of his fingertip. Um, you know, it was a regular lab test, and he was fine. Um, but when they do it at the blood center out of the, the tip of the finger, somehow he always fails. So his hematocrit is low, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. And then, okay. and then he's not allowed yeah, he, to get, um, get, donate blood because his hematocrit is low at the fingertip. Uh, yes. But uh, capillary uh, hematocrit is not the same as uh, arterial uh, or general system uh, hematocrit. So uh, you have to uh, figure out what's going on. With, with the difference between the two, I, w- I wonder. Um, I wonder why most. Pe- I think probably most people are given that kind of test before they give blood, uh, and why this person's would show. Uh, well, they just need to bring a blood test, like a blood test from the day before. That's you know well, drawn out of the arm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that, that they would actually accept that. But that's. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think you can get a blood test that fast. I mean, I think you can for COVID, but maybe not for other things. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? That it takes a little while. No, I think they and, can test hematocrit really quick. But I mean, I guess yeah, you'd have to be in an emergency room situation where you get it back in like an hour or something. Right, right. It would be a response thing. Yeah, totally. But anyway, if you have any suggestions, I'll take my answer off the air. But thank you so much for being there. Yeah, thank you for your call. So, right, doc- so, Dr. P, is there any, anything else you'd add to that uh, low hematocrit and um, issues with uh, retaining iron? Uh, uh, well, uh, I think it's very important to uh, look at other things than hematocrit. Right. Because if you're under stress uh, uh, and have elevated estrogen to progesterone ratio, for example, uh, estrogen uh, uh, lowers hepcidin progesterone raises hepcidin. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, 
if your estrogen is up, you're retaining iron at the same time that you're lowering your hematocrit. Uh, the same thing that was happening 100 years ago. Uh, women looked anemic, but they were getting poisoned with too much iron. Uh, and that can happen to men, too. Okay, okay and that, yeah. that gentleman was um, not low in hematocrit in his actual um, arterial or venous blood. It was just on the capillaries on his fingertips. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Web, Dr. KMUD, Garberville, 91.1 FM. From now until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with questions related or unrelated to this month's subject. Dr. Raymond Peake, guest speaker. The number, 707-923-3911. So, uh, back to... And we have a caller. Okay. Okay, caller, you're on the airway from. What's your question? Hi, I'm from New Mexico, and I was just wondering if any of these three things could detox iron, uh, niacinamide, aspirin, or maybe lithium. And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. If, if these things could do what to iron? Detox. Detox. Okay, so got it. Dr. What was the third thing? <laughs> Okay. Uh, lithium was the third thing. Niacin, uh, aspirin, and lithium. Uh, aspirin uh, is known to be very protective against iron. Uh, uh, that was uh, established 30 or 40 years ago, uh, and uh, there hasn't been much follow-up research on it. But uh, they think it might be uh, partly activating, uh, acting as an antioxidant and maybe as a an iron binder in some way. Uh, but it probably is uh, one of the most protective things uh, next next to coffee uh, and vitamin E uh, as uh, pre- preventing the toxicity of, of iron. And what about uh, niacinamide? It, it does uh, all kinds of uh, defensive things to maintain your cells oxidative capacity uh, and it's a failure of uh, oxidative energy production uh, that makes iron become so toxic uh, so I, I would say that niacinamide and aspirin are extremely good bets for being protective what did you have to say about lithium there Dr. Pete because that's kind of piqued my interest knowing somebody who's actually on lithium therapy at the moment in terms of iron um, I think it can have some uh, adverse effects on your iron system. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we do have another caller. So the number, if you're anywhere and you want to call in, is 707-923-3911. So let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Hello? Caller, that's you. <laughs> well? That me? Yes, that's you. Okay, I can barely hear you. Um, I was I was wanting to know: is chelation bad then, or good? Well, I think Dr. Peets explained that most chelation does tend to pull it out of safe stores where it's stored and put it into the circulation and or other tissues that become damaged as a result of iron's uh, oxidative uh, capacity. So I think he's saying essentially most chelation is actually a bad thing because people bring it into circulation and it gets put into soft tissues, etc., or nervous system where it does a lot of damage. So you're probably better off not chelating it, but coffee... Uh, as I think we got through that subject a while back, coffee seems to be relatively safe. Uh, and some of these recent articles on u- using chelation against COVID, uh, uh, they are using uh, a very particular uh, uh, chelation substances, such as uh, uh, lactoferrin. Mm. Okay. Okay, I'm not sure if there's any more callers, uh, Engineer. I ask another question. Okay, you go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, my doctor's got me on all my meds are, are chelated, and I've got I'm extremely um, I got extreme um. Oh, I'm oh god, the the word that I don't know why it just went out of my head. Um, everything I'm it's all I'm all not infection, but. 
if, if you get that. it, you can always call back, ma'am. How about that? We, okay. uh, we, we give you ch- right, give you a chance to call back. If you remember it, just come, come and call back. So people want to call in 707-923-3911. Okay. Dr. P, I wanted just to put this out there to you as a, a kind of continue the thought about inflammation, um, continue the thought about what's been seen on uh, live blood analysis. This is not just some wacky uh, ethereal out there alternative uh, modality but live blood uh, if you were to take a, a finger prick uh, for example as the gentleman was saying if it goes to um, uh, to give blood uh, a finger prick blood test uh, put a drop of blood on a slide put it under a microscope uh, and visualize uh, the, the film that you're looking at um, I've seen several several doctors now talking about um, the the inflammatory effects of the uh, drug that's being used uh, for COVID and the formation of what they call roulette, where the red cells are just stacking up on each other. And when you see um, a regular film done, a blood slide film uh, done of blood, uh, peripheral blood, then uh, you see red cells and you see other components of the blood freely moving within uh, this, the field that you're looking at. But yet, these other micrographs that have been taken of blood from patients uh, either adverse reactions to the drug or not even adverse at that point in time but maybe not showing up as any kind of chronic inflammation or coagulopathy for example but their red the blood film looks very different i mean do, do you th- what do you think of this do you think this is a real thing i mean i know it's it's not fiction they're seeing this but related to iron and related to this drug it, it seems pretty coincidental uh, yeah uh, uh, do you remember uh, a long time ago uh, there was interest in what they called blood sludging oh yeah <laughs> and yeah they could demonstrate it looking at a person's uh, the white of their eye with mm. a microscope mm-hmm. and uh, the same way you can do Look, looking at the web between a frog's toes, uh, you can see the blood flowing through uh, capillaries. Let me let me just hold that there for a second. I don't mean to cut you off, Dr. Pete, but there is another caller. So hold that thought. Okay. Let's get this caller on, see what the question is, we'll see where they're from, and uh, let's take it from there. Caller, you're on the air. What's Hello? Your, where are you from? What's your question? Hello? Am I on the air? Yeah, go ahead. Um, oh, yeah, I can't hear you, but... Okay, I'm the one that just called Inflammation. I am so inflammated, they've done everything, and they can't seem to get a hold of it for years now. And with the medicine being, um, with chelation, would that contribute to me having so much inflammation? Did you say you've had chelation or not? No, all my medicines are, uh, the doctor said that that's what he's got me on, is the medicines I'm on are for their chelation. Are you seeing a naturopath or a... Um an MD. I, I'm sorry. Is your doctor a naturopath or an MD? Are you like chelating for heavy levels of mercury? Um, he's just—he's just my medicines. He's—he's he's got me on um, different meds. I, I can't take pharmaceutical. They make me definitely sick. And he keeps saying that if I take something that's not in, chelated, that. It's not good, and I don't know now because I've been on them for three years. I'm not getting any better. Oh, okay. Like, you're talking about chelated vitamins? Yeah. Okay. Not just the vitamins. Um, I'm on, like, um, methylfolate and KD complex and adrenal med. There's a few of them like that. Okay, so, Dr. Pete, what are your thoughts on chelated vitamins? I, I, I think it's... Uh, just uh, a marketing ploy. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, the way uh, vitamins and minerals uh, exist in food uh, are are the safest, uh, and if you associate them uh, with other chemicals, uh, there just hasn't been enough study uh, to know uh, whether they're safe and effective compared to getting them naturally from foods. Okay, yeah, I have a real hard time with that. I'm allergic to everything and all, um, like e- even foam rubber and everything that's made out of oil and electricity and everything. It's getting really bad. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Is there anything I could take that would un, 
Well, you could try taking a, a tr- you could try taking a supplement holiday, where you just eat like you know fruits and vegetables and meats and dairy, or uh, over the eggs years, and dairy. Uh, I've seen lots of chronic, mysterious ailments clear up as soon as uh, the person stopped all of their supplements for a week or so. Thank you. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Thank you for your call. Okay. Seven and we seven. have one more. I love you, Dr. Pete. I listen to you all the time. <laughs> you guys' show is awesome, by the way. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for your call. For, for okay. Your so 707-923-3911. Uh, I still uh, would love to hear your take on the roulette formation on live blood oh, analysis. Oh, oh, oh. We do have one more caller, too. Well, let's, uh, Dr. Pete, so you're called. You'd like to explain, or would you want to move on to the next caller? Let's have the caller. Yeah. Okay, caller, you're on the airway from. What's your question? Hi, yeah. I just ended up, I ended up getting the COVID shot. It's been 10 days ago now, and I really resisted for a long time, but, you know, with the pressure and everything. Mm-hmm. And I have Lyme, and I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But what's happening to me now is that my hands, especially, and the ends of my toes, are like, it looks like the blood is kind of pulling up. Um, on the ends of my fingers, and my hands are, like, super blotchy. Hmm. And um, I looked it up, and it was just, it said, oh, no, get your second shot, because even if you have blue and red fingers and toes, it's it's okay. But it's really, it seems very strange to me, and I don't really quite know, but it's, it's really odd. <laughs> Dr. Pete, do you have a comment about um, that as an adverse reaction to the COVID shot? Yeah, because what happened was it had been eight days, and I was okay, but then on the eighth day, my arm where the injection site was, it blew up like a balloon, and it got really hot and a rash on it, and then my fingers and my hands and my toes, all the blood kind of just went to the ends, and then the the palms are all blotchy and everything, too. Uh, uh, The inflammation. uh, It's the inflammation of the vascular system, right? Uh, yeah, the the vaccine creates inflammation. That uh, uh, the, the, the most dangerous part of it uh, is that the uh, type of inflammation produces uh, a tendency <clears throat> to hypercoagulation. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, and so, when you're getting uh, areas that aren't circulating fully, uh, yep. there, there is a tendency. Uh, 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 to form uh, uh, fibrin uh, uh, layers of, of clotting material uh, mm-hmm. in, inside the blood vessel. Uh, and that exactly relates to the uh, blood sludging thing that we were just starting to talk about. The red blood cells uh, yeah. clumping. Uh, and, yeah, uh, anticoagulants and anti-inflammatory things Aspirin. that are so successful for treating uh, COVID patients, uh, as uh, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough uh, has talked about in some of his videos, uh, uh, oh. th- those help for the uh, uh, symptoms of uh, the vaccine damage. Okay. So what would you recommend so she use aspirin, Dr. B? Uh, aspirin and uh, yeah. uh, 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 ciproheptadine and uh, milk and vitamin D. Are, okay. Ciproheptadine is an um, antihistamine. And okay. anti-serotonin, and serotonin is, is one of the things that uh, goes crazy uh, under the inflammation uh, of uh, both COVID and the vaccine. Okay. Well, thanks so much. <laughs> yep, you're welcome. Thanks for your call. Good luck. Okay, I hear the phone ringing, but I'm not too sure if that's... Uh, yeah. I don't take callers after 7.50, so you guys can finish up and give the information you need. <laughs> Thanks, Seven, callers. Okay, 7.54, no problem. Uh, okay, so, Dr. Pete, would you have a succinct uh, sum-up of the roulette formation that has been seen in people's blood after receiving the vaccine and how that relates to the coagulopathies and the sudden strokes Etc. The pericarditis, myocarditis, and all the other uh, thromboembolic uh, sequelae. Uh, Melvin Knisley, K-N-I-S-E-L-Y, uh, was the person who uh, studied the blood sludging phenomenon in people who were uh, under stress and deteriorating quickly. Uh, 
and he saw it as uh, simply a lack of metabolic energy. But uh, some of the people following up on his work, uh, he emphasized that what was happening was uh, 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 catalyzing uh, fibrin polymerization uh, and creating a layer, uh, a blockade film of fibrin inside your blood vessels, thickening the wall of the capillary, making it hard for nutrients and oxygen to get through the capillary wall, and coating red blood cells with a layer of fibrin, thickening their pathway for exchanging CO2 and oxygen. People working with very good microscopes later studied these rolls, coin-like rolls of red blood cells, and with microprobes, they would pull them apart under the microscope, and they would snap together. And they published images showing that filaments, it was assumed that it was filaments of fibrin polymers stretched between the red blood cells so it was like they had rubber bands that pulled them back together. Uh, and uh, that, that was brought on uh, basically by a, a reduction in oxidative metabolism, shifting uh, to, to the uh, uh, lactic acid metabolism. Uh, and that's where you start having the iron problems and inflammation. So people's blood could be clumping like that. Um, just under a stressful um, situation, what, not necessarily just on COVID or COVID shots. Uh, but uh, Yeah, it, it's a very uh, apparently universal thing that happens when you're in very bad condition. So let's all not be stressed and let's all not get sick. <laughs> Take uh, your vitamin D. <laughs> uh, yeah, stop the inflammation, stop right. the clotting, get your energy restored. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess it's 7.57, so let's not stress anybody out by running over time, heaven forbid. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Dr. Pete. Let's give out your information. Okay. Thank you, and good night. Okay, so for people that have listened to the show uh, and or people that want to archive it, get it off the uh, station later on to listen, um, Dr. Pete's information is raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T.com. Uh, we can be reached Monday through Friday, westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Uh, and for those people um, who are out there uh, still on the fence about whether or not this experimental drug is something they need, uh, there's a lot of evidence coming out surrounding the treatability of this and the the irrelevance of the, uh, COVID, the COVID drug. And you can email us. Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at westernbotanicalmedicine.com, and we'll send you links to lots of different doctors discussing COVID treatments and what you can do to help yourself. I also wanted to mention with aspirin, people that might just want to go out and buy aspirin and use it, it's only safe to use more than a baby aspirin a day if you're taking vitamin K. And Thorne Research makes a great vitamin K2 where you take 1,000 micrograms, which is equal to 1 milligram per drop. Thorn Research Vitamin K2. If for every aspirin you need to take one drop, which is one milligram, equal to a thousand micrograms, to keep yourself from um, bleeding excessively with high dose aspirin. Could you mention some natural food sources of K2? Well, kale, kale, kale is king. Kale has vitamin K2, but not in high enough doses. If you want to use aspirin for uh, an to block inflammation in doses of like you know one to one to three grams a day you know a tablet's 325 milligrams a baby aspirin's 90 milligrams so if you take that you don't need the vitamin k2 but if you want to use larger doses of aspirin it's really not safe unless you have a high dose of vitamin k2 and all green vegetables have vitamin k2 so you don't need to supplement with it unless you have uh, a need for high dose aspirin Okay, I think that's about all we have time for. Uh, So until next month, uh, September 2021, uh, let's move forward, onwards, and look at the science, not the fiction. My name's Andrew. My name's Sarah Murray. Thank you for listening. Good night.
This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, KMUE Eureka, KLAI Leightonville. It is 7.59. Get ready to step out on a wing and a prayer.